All right, if you've got your Bibles, let's kick into Ephesians 2. So uh, we've been working through Ephesians. Last week, uh, we did three verses, and uh, today will be something of a record for how little of the Bible I'm going to preach from today, but that will be a secret that will become clear to you in a moment. Just want to read, as a, uh, by way of reminder, um, Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. That's what we did last week. Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 3. And you were dead. Is that word? What is that word? Dead. That's a four-letter word. All right? Worse than any other four-letter word when it comes to spirituality and the part of you that's non-physical. Is everyone with me? Oh, dead. Dead. In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Just leave that one open there for a moment. You were dead. The part of you that was most significant. I'm not saying the body's unimportant, but the part of you that was most significant, dead. Spiritually unresponsive. It's worse than physical death. It leads to physical death, but it's worse than physical death. You were dead. Now, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing some object lessons. Because I want you to get this, right? You guys, you get so used to scriptures, right? Is that true? Is that happening in the church? You get used to scriptures. You get used to, to, uh, to metaphors. So I brought something that's going to help you today, all right? I, uh, I brought a fish. A snapper. Caught it yesterday. No, kidding. Well, kind of. I almost got the lady to throw it to me from behind the Coles Deli. And then I could say, I could. anyway, that's a bad joke. Do you know what? This is dead. Right? And, and it's, it's well dead. Is everyone with me on that? It's got a great big hole up underneath it and a really sore neck. Because right? someone's cut through it. You could come up. I was going to get this out of the bag, but then I thought, I'm going to get juice on the floor. It's going to stink like fish. Which is, I mean, that's fishes of men. I mean, you could do a really cheesy analogy. Right? And then the school would go, what's going on? Why does our hall smell like fish? All right? Listen, if this fish, if I put this fish back in the water, right, his little fish buddies are probably not going to be swimming up to this fish and saying, Oh, man, you could do with a good rest. <laughs> All right? You're in a bad way. You, seriously, you need an early night. That's what, now, here's the thing. Go down to North Point Zarafas and get yourself a double-shot coffee. You know, I, maybe a chiropractor could do something with your, your neck. All right? His fish buddies are not saying those things. The fish buddies are not going, no, seriously, a, a Panadol and go to bed early and you'll be right in the morning. You need a holiday, snap. <laughs> They're not saying that, right? Why? Because it's over. It is over for this fish. Like, if I, I was going to get this out and see if, you know how people have got this obsession with just poking at a fish's eyes? Has anyone ever noticed that? You ever noticed that? A couple of you have. Some of you are going, that's weird, man. Sadistic even. All right? But I was almost going to get it out and go, come and poke its eyes. This is a real live dead fish. See? Look at this fish right now. 
That is what Paul's saying that you were. Dead. Like, gone. Okay? Not sick. Not on life support. It was over. Is there any hope for this fish? This is not a trick question. No, there's not. There's no hope for this fish. You could still eat him. There'd be hope for the person eating him. There's no hope for it, right? None at all. You're not, I'm not giving this thing mouth to mouth. It's, it's not going to work. It's not going to help. That was you. And I'm telling you something. If you're, um, if you're not a Christian today, that is you. That's present tense. For all of you who are, who love Jesus, that was you. The fish doesn't need CPR. You spiritually don't need CPR. You're dead. All right? The only thing stopping that fridge, that uh, fish from decomposing quicker is refrigeration and ice, which I have in that esky there. You were gone. Thank you. Look at this. Let's, uh, let's see if we can all guess who's got uh, a child in nappies. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever noticed that? Mums are always good for a... Uh, mums with children in nappies are always good for a, a wife. You were gone. No hope and without God in the world. That's what Ephesians 2 verse 12. You see, hope and God always go together. You see, without God, hope is a wish. That's all that the world has. That's all that you had before you came to faith, before you became part of God's family. Without God, hope is a wish. With God, hope is a certainty. You see, spiritually, before Jesus uh, um, brought you back to life, you were useless, you weren't sick, you were dead, you were lifeless, unresponsive, destined to hell, deceived, enslaved, under the power of the devil, you were unacceptable, unworthy, filthy, self-deceived, you were isolated, orphaned, lonely, famished, you were at war, you were ruined, there was misery, you were lost, no peace, you were guilty, murderous, filled with strife and a child of wrath. Careering out of control. Watching you was like watching a car accident. Watching me was like watching a car accident. Remember being in Sydney and watching a car accident happen and it's this amazing feeling. I don't know whether you've ever seen one or had this experience where everything's happening in slow motion and you can see what's going to happen and there's nothing that you can do to stop it. That was you. That was me. And then these two sublime words come. And I want to ask this morning, are there any sweeter words in the whole of the scriptures and the two words that we're going to look at today? These words are like lip balm on chafing lips. Have you ever had chafing lips that you thought were a good chance of being terminal? Have you ever had that? We've, uh, I've been on a bunch of year 12 trips with the school here when they used to go down south and we used to do the walk from uh, Threadbow up to uh, the top of Kosciuszko. And I always worried, because it was cold and the air was thin and, and often dry, and I always worried about, you just don't want to start that walk, it's about 13 and a half k's round trip, just like don't start that walk with chafing lips, all right? Because you, you may end up just lying on the side of the road <laughs> on the way back. 
And, uh, and there were some times I'd just go, you know, we've got to stop the bus, we've got to go to a grocery store, I've just got to get some lip balm because I'm just not going to be able to do 13Ks in the windy Kosciuszko Mountains with chafing lips. Have you had that? Have you had that moment where your lips uh, were chafing and they were so sore and you put lip balm on them? The soothing is out of this world. Anyone know what I'm talking about? What about a stinking hot day? Stinking hot day, you're sweating and then you slide into a pool. Or you're desperately hungry. You're fainting almost and famished. And finally you get some food. Or, Or you've been without water and you're desperately thirsty. And then you get that cool glass of water. No, 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 no. These words are even better than that. These are better than that. Think about swimming at the beach and you get caught in a rip. You've already been under a few times. You feel like the next time it might be the last one, but as you go down, the lifesaver grabs your arm. But still we're short. Still at this point I go, no, 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 no. These words are better than that. Because none of these metaphors that I've just mentioned to you are about dead people. What metaphor could I grab for you that would help you to get a handle on the beauty and the treasure that exists in two words? What could I grab for you that would help you to savour the sweetness of these two words? Can you go back to Ephesians 2? You know the two words I'm talking about. This is probably the first time I'm ever going to preach a whole sermon on two words. But they are the most beautiful words. Everyone look at it, verse 4 there. But God. But God. See, the whole of human history has been about but God. (laughs) You go back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. They've blown it. Everything that we... Every bit of suffering that we have, every bit of pain that we have, every injustice that happens traces its way all the way back there. The hell that we find ourselves in is the hell that was started back then by Adam and Eve. But yet we see in Genesis 3 that God steps forward and he says, one day I'm going to send someone to crush the head of the serpent. What's that? But God. (laughs) Isn't it? But God. He's not happy to see this hell wrought about on his people and his creation, but God. And we get to Genesis 6 and we see Noah. And we see God just cranky at the world. Cranky at the world for the way that they've, the the direction that they've actually headed. And what does God do? (laughs) He takes Noah and he says, build a boat. It's another but God moment. God could have crushed and eliminated humanity off the face of the planet, but God. And then we get to the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 9. You can read about it, where the Israelites, after a moment of supreme rescue by God through the Red Sea, build a golden calf and start worshipping that instead. And God specifically says, you can read it in Deuteronomy 9, it says, I was ready to destroy them. But God, but God. You go to the the whole book of Judges. Uh, It's a messy, messy stuff going on in the book of Judges. Um, It's probably not good nighttime reading at times. 
But who knows that the whole of the book of Judges is about but God, isn't it? It's like the people rebelled, they turned against God and God gave them into the oppression of their enemies and the enemies would work them over. You've probably heard of Deborah and Barak. You've heard of Samson, I'm sure, and Gideon. The whole pattern of the book of Judges is we get ourselves into trouble. It's our fault, but God. <laughs> but God, he gets us out of trouble. You can keep going. You can go to uh, the book of Daniel and look at uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace. They got thrown in there for worshipping God. But God, there's a fourth person walking around in there. You know that story, right? You can go to Daniel. Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den for worshipping and praying to God. But God, but God happens again. You see, the, the normal way that you would expect things to progress gets reversed because God engages, because God does things. Listen to this from 2 Kings verse Sorry, 2 Kings 13, verse 22 to 23. Now, Hazael, king of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoaz. But the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them, and he turned toward them. Do you hear that? They're in trouble. There's another example. You can go all the way through the scriptures historically, and the story of God's people has been, you get in trouble, but God. <laughs> Isn't it beautiful? You with me? Psalm 14, verse 6 says this, you would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Psalm 27.10, for my father, father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Psalm 34 verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Everything for us often is headed in a particular direction until but God. You see, God introduces a new state of affairs. Who knows that's true? Who knows in your life, there's lots of times through your life, God has introduced a new state of affairs in a place where it was really messy. True? Psalm 118, verse 13. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. You see, the whole of your life... So. Now I'm just, it's not just the whole of human history is being but God. The whole of your life is but God. You are unlovable, but God loved you. You are in trouble and God rescued you. 2 Samuel 22, 19, I'm sure would be a testimony of many of us here. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. Now, some of you, maybe at this point in time, you just go, okay, well, that's interesting. <laughs> but God. But God what? But God what? But God annihilated us? What's the rest of the sentence? But, but God didn't care? But God laughed at me? But God turned away from me? You see, the rest of that sentence, but God, tells you about the person's character. See, God is not a mocker. God does not take great joy in laughing and pointing at his people. Who is God? What is he like? How will he act? You see, the answer to those questions tells you what comes after the but God. You see, no one 
constrains God to do anything. God owes no one anything. He doesn't owe you anything. He's not limited by anything. He is infinite. So you know the only guideline that you've got about the way that God acts is actually his character. See, there's nothing that stops God from always acting in line with his character and what's important to him. The Lord God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him, the psalmist says. So what pleases him? That's a good question, isn't it? That's an important question. (laughs) For people who are in a lot of trouble, that's a very, very important question. What pleases God? Well, can you just advance two slides for me, please, dear? Uh, I think probably everyone knows Finding Nemo. Do you know something about uh, movies? is that uh, movies are all about but someone moments. That's what they are. That's how it works. And you know the story of Nemo. Nemo was a, uh, a clownfish, the son of Marlin, who you can see on the screen there. Nemo goes out and ventures into the open sea, gets captured and ends up in a fish tank. It's not good for Nemo. You know the story, right? It is not good for Nemo, but Marlin. (laughs) But Marlin, right? He can't do anything. Nemo can't really do anything about the situation that that, that he's in now, but he has a dad, and that's his hope. His hope is that he has a dad. He has a good dad. He has a dad that's a a but Marlin that's going to change the state of affairs. Amen? You see, and he know, maybe he doesn't know at the time, but here's the thing. The whole story of finding Nemo hinges upon the character of the father. And the character of the father is a character that pursues his son until he finds him and rescues him and he doesn't give up, isn't it? You see, the state of affairs shifts and changes because of Bart Marlin. If, if, if it were not for Bart Marlin... That would be it for Nemo. What about the... um, What about superhero movies? Aren't superhero movies all about but Batman? But Superman? Can you just go to the next slide there, please, Can you just roll that clip? This is a clip from Superman Returns. It was actually on TV last night. It's a pretty old movie, but uh, it's a really nice little uh, scene here. Just uh, check this one out. No. I was...
They can be a great people color when they wish to be. They only lack the light to show the way. For this reason, above all, their capacity for good, I have sent them you, my only son. Superman's up there, he's remembering what his dad said to him and he hears the cries of the world. See, this is what superhero movies are about. There's, there's trouble. Humanity is in trouble. You know, and, and movies follow this plot line, right? Movies follow the plot line of, of uh, there, there being a protagonist, an antagonist, a rising problem, a climax, a resolution. This is kind of the superhero movie kind of genre. It's like Things just get messed up. Humanity messes things up. Things get in trouble. And the superhero somehow finds out about it and gets activated because humans need help. What about this one? Uh, just let me uh, show you the first minute or two um, of the trailer from The Dark Knight Rises, uh, the Batman uh, movie from a few years ago. Um, might cut it off halfway through. Anyway, can you roll that, please, Diff? Can you see by the dawn's early You are as precious to me as you were to your own mother and father. I swore to them that I would protect you, and I haven't. The mayor's gonna dump him in the spring. Really? Mm-hmm. But he's a hero, a war hero. This is peacetime. You think this can last? There's a storm coming, Mr. Wayne. You and your friends better batten down the hatches. Because when it hits, you're all going to wonder how you ever thought you could live so large and leave so little for the rest of us. the events of The Dark Knight, the movie uh, prior to that, uh, finds Gotham in a time of peace. But a uh, super villain called Bane comes and starts to mess all of that up. And Batman, who had uh, become a bit of a recluse, was called out of hiding. Why was he called out of hiding? Because humans were in trouble. You see, superhero movies are all about mercy. That's what they are. 
I'm not saying all of them, there's a couple of weird ones that have been coming out, but superheroes generally, the genre is humans get in trouble, there's someone who's got power to actually help the trouble that the humans are in, and they actually get called out uh, to help humans because of the mercy, of wanting to show mercy to people. You see, mercy is about getting people out of trouble. You see, uh, how many times do you get to the end of a superhero movie if you've seen them, and the bad guy's winning? Chaos has broken out. The superhero's dead. There's not much that can be done. It's over. And then all of a sudden, they come onto the scene. Come with me back to uh, Ephesians 2 verse 4. Listen to this. Listen to these beautiful words. But God, being rich in mercy. Bam! There it is. How good's that? Isn't that good? It's like you didn't... You know, you know the ending to the plot, right? But before when I was saying to you, like... You could say, but God, but what comes after that? What comes after that is God is rich in mercy. His acting is guided by his character and his character is rich in mercy. We were rich in need and he was rich in mercy. Isn't that a good partnership? We were rich in trouble and he was rich in rescue. We were rich in powerlessness and he was rich in strength on our behalf. Now I'm going to get snap out. Tell me, what can snap do to get mercy? Nothing. How much mercy does snap need? (laughs) A lot, right? Snap needs a lot of mercy and snap can do nothing to get mercy. So that makes snap, you guys are freaking, you're just going, this is really corny, but it makes snap like, how much of a perfect candidate for mercy is Snap? Doesn't get any better, all right? He's decomposing. Hopefully not too quick. Hopefully we'll get him on the barbie before it gets poisonous. But he's decomposing, right? It's over for Snap. He's completely helpless. Do you know, that's what Paul's saying about you. Completely helpless. Nothing that you could do. Duck across for me. Can you find Titus? Just a quick tip about the back end of the New Testament. If you find one book starting with T, the rest of them are there with it. All right? So just find one and then flick around. It's actually the last, the last book starting with T there. Titus 3. Listen to this. Now, trust that you'll be able to agree with Paul in this. Verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish. Who knows that you've, you've been foolish? Yeah. Okay, good. Disobedient. Who's been disobedient? Led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Listen to this. Beautiful. Verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Saviour, appeared... He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own what? Mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. See, that is exactly what we needed. You see, we needed the mercy that God brought. You see, we were objects of divine wrath. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 tells us that. But God had mercy on us. We were dead. But God made us alive. We were in bondage to evil powers, but God seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. 
You see, a completely new situation has arisen because God has taken every necessary step to reverse the condition that we're in. Is there an amen out there? That is incredible. That is incredible. The, uh, the mission statement of uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church, which is a church that Tim Keller was a senior pastor of, is grace changes everything. And it does, doesn't it? Like it changes everything. And you think about your life. See, it's even a mercy for you right now to be sitting in this room and not have it collapse on top of you. You have not done anything to earn that. You have not done anything to earn the mercy of your next breath. But God is rich in mercy. Come across with me to uh, Exodus 34, second book in the Bible. It's not what God says about himself in Exodus 34, verse 6. I just want you to see this. Verse 6 in Exodus 34, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God, what? Merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. All right. Now, you know, in some versions, it actually says keeping mercy for thousands. You know, I've said it before at the church here, God has a storehouse of mercy for you. So when you get into trouble and you can't get out of it and you're as useless as snap, you have lots of hope. You see, because of who God is, you could be as desperate as this snapper and it would be, there would be a positive word to say at that point, wouldn't there? And this, this goes for everything, right? This goes for, for physical uh, sickness. This goes for having enemies against you. God is a merciful God. Let's just keep going because I'm not sure you believe me yet. Psalms. Let's go across to Psalms. You're a bit quiet. Psalms. Psalms 103. Just kick into the middle of the book and you'll find Psalms. Psalm 103, verse 8. We'll stay in Psalms just for a little bit. Psalm 103, verse 8. See, what I'm hitting at here is this is God's character. Mercy is not something that God does. Merciful is who God is. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, this is verse 8, and abounding in steadfast love. Go over a bunch of pages to Psalm 145. Psalm 145, verse 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, Listen to this. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Now, your tendency, if I was you, I'd be sitting there just going, yeah, I, I get that. Like, I get that he's merciful. And I, well, you don't get it the way that you probably need to get it, if that's what you're thinking right now. And this is why sometimes the way we read the Bible is not very helpful. We read the Bible for information. The point of the Bible is not for information. The point of the Bible is for communion and personal engagement with God. It's his story. It's what he's saying to you personally. And so we would do well to stop at this point and say, what does that even mean? What does that mean for my day tomorrow that God's mercy is over all that he has made? What does it mean for that thing that you're in, that place that you're in at the moment that's really difficult and you don't know how to get out of it? Or that frustrating relationship that you have with someone 
What does it mean for that? What does God's character being merciful mean for all of those things? Come across with me to Micah. We should have a test of it, how quick you can find this if you don't have a smartphone. Some minor prophets here. Back into the uh, Old Testament. Micah 7. Micah 7. Micah 7. Verse 18. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? Listen to this. He does not retain his anger forever because... Why doesn't he? Why doesn't he just be angry all the time? Because he delights in steadfast love. He delights in mercy. That's why he's not angry the whole time. Now, some of you have had dads or mums that just it felt like they were angry the whole time. Well, he's not angry the whole time. And the reason why he's not angry the whole time is because he gets a kick out of being merciful. See that? Oftentimes when we think about God, you just think, oh, he's, he's a bit begrudging, you know? It's a bit of an arm twist. He, he did the Jesus thing and he kind of has to be nice to us. <laughs> no, it's not. You know what Micah's telling you is, no, he loves it. He loves being merciful. So, like, think about that. You guys don't look that happy. And is everyone okay? This is, am I, I'm just intense today because just, I'm just consumed by this, this truth. I just think it's an amazing thing. So pardon that. But he, here's the thing, right? When you get into trouble and you end up like a fish, a dead fish in an esky, like, think about it. He loves to be kind to you in that moment. All right, so, so here's my question. Do you actually think that when you get in trouble? Or do you think that God just has to do it because he said that he was going to do it? See, here's the thing. Here's one of the things that is going to change if you actually believe that God's character is merciful and that he delights in mercy. You know what will change? You're going to pray when you're in trouble more. Aren't you? You'll pray when you're in trouble. And not because some preacher up the front said you need to pray more when you're in trouble. You're going to pray when you're in trouble more because you know that God gets a kick out of being merciful to someone who's stuck and can't help themselves. Amen? Yeah, see, now you're you're starting to warm up a little bit. (laughs) Come with me to Jonah. I'm not done. Now, I don't even know where Jonah is. How bad is that? Am I going? Is anyone going? Am I going the right way? Yeah, there you go. You know the story of Jonah, right? You know the, sto- the story of Jonah. Let's just start at uh, chapter, uh, chapter 4 there. So here's the story of Jonah, right? God asked Jonah to go to Nineveh and say, you guys need to stop doing what you're doing or you need to turn to God. He didn't want to do that because they were bad people in Nineveh. So he ran away from God and we know the story about the fish and getting vomited out and smelling like fish guts. We know all of that, all right? Then we get to verse 4 and we actually find, sorry, we get to the back end of Jonah and we actually find in chapter 3 that the people of Nineveh repent. Listen to um, Jonah 4 verse 1 and 2. Actually, go back to verse 10 in chapter 3. When God saw what the Ninevites did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. Jonah 4, verse 1 and 2. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. 
and he was angry. You see, you see what's going on here? God's merciful, Jonah's angry. And so I, we think that God's angry and we're the merciful ones sometimes, right? But in this, what tends to be the case is that God's the merciful one and we're the angry ones. And Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said uh, when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are, listen to this, a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Here's the truth. We tend to like mercy for ourselves, but we want justice for other people. <laughs> True? And Jonah ran from God because he didn't want other people to get mercy. And who knows that Jonah needed an immense amount of mercy from God. You see, people who think that they are religiously correct need more mercy probably than other people. And I wonder, just as a quick question, how can we exult in the mercy that God shows to other people? Just think about that. How do you exult in God not giving people what they deserve? That's hard to do sometimes. Okay, come back to uh, Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. There's one more piece I just want to throw into this but God. Have a look at verse 4 there in Ephesians 2 again. But God, being rich in mercy, why is he rich in mercy? Because of the great love with which he loved us. I want you to hear this today. You're on God's heart. God has deep feelings for you. You know, God... You know, sometimes people can get a bit sneaky with saying that they love someone else. Have you ever heard this? Like, I love that person, but I don't like them. Like, that's a bit weird, right? Now, you can serve someone in love, all right? But if, like, that statement is almost kind of saying, I can act in a loving way even though I don't feel loving toward them. Is that how God is toward you? Would you be, would you be satisfied with that? What if God showed up today and he said to you, I love you, but I don't really like you. <laughs> that wouldn't be satisfying, right? Because he doesn't do that. He actually has deep, deep love for you, deep affection for you. There's a longing in God's heart for you, for humanity. And that's why he loves to show you mercy. See, Romans 5.8 says uh, that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Come across to uh, the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1. Going all over the shop today. See, there is no better proof of God's deep love for you than Jesus Christ. Luke 1. This is a prophecy by Zechariah about Jesus. It's just beautiful words. Verse 78. Actually, we'll start verse 76. A new child will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people. Sorry, it's about John the Baptist. In the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. So he's talking about John the Baptist coming as a forerunner before Jesus. Why? Because God's mercy is coming. Like a beautiful sunrise. The sunrise is going to visit us from on high. The tender mercy of God is coming in the person of Christ. 
So let me uh, bring you to the present. Who needs a but God moment now? Who needs one? You see, I've talked about the Israelites in history. I've talked about what Christ has done for us in the past, but we still live in a world that is but God, don't we? God's mercy is still over everything that he has made. He still, as Exodus 34 says, keeps mercy for thousands. He has not run out. You see, God's character is infinite, which means that if he's merciful, he's not going to run out. Mercy is not a commodity to God. It is an expression of his character. Do you get that? And because of that, it will never run out. So where do you need mercy? Where are you trying to organise things and control your world and what you really need is you need a but God? And maybe today is a day where God would have you to call out and cry out to him for a but God moment. You see, we can be in the middle of things all the time and God can be practically absent, can't he? We kind of live as functional atheists. If someone came up and said, oh, where's God in this situation for you? You go, well, I think he's got it under control. But in practice, what we're actually doing in reality is we're living out a reality where God isn't involved and he's not merciful and I have to kind of make this, somehow find some way to make this work. Where do you need to cry out for a but God moment? I've been working recently with some very difficult people. <laughs> and I'm a very difficult person. And when you get two difficult people working together, it's very difficult. <laughs> Does anyone know what I'm talking about? You know, because I'm bringing my own junk to the situation, they're bringing their junk, and we just, there's just junk there, right? It's, just, it's difficult, it's a headache. I'm, uh, I've been quite frustrated at times with some people that I've had to work with that they're not heading in a direction which to me it just seems ridiculously obvious but they're not and, and being frustrated and being angry uh, about that and forgetting Proverbs 21.1 The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord and he turns it wherever he will. Sometimes, in my experience in the church, people have abused the sovereignty of God and his rulership over the world. But I think practically a lot of the time I fall short of applying it deeply in my heart. You see, sometimes what happens is like, why don't you, someone say, why don't you cry out to God for mercy that he'd help you? And you just go, well, he wouldn't be able to do anything. I've got to work this one out. I've got to get it sorted. I've got to control this thing. I've got to manage it. I can think of a few things to do that might be able to influence things and make it go in the direction that it needs to go. I asked him about one a while ago and didn't end up going the way I wanted it to go, so I think I'm more trustworthy than he is. Now, it's a bit laughable, right? But we kind of almost think that sometimes, don't we? You know, I'll tell you something. I'll be really transparent with you. Here's, 
Here's something that I thought the other day. And you'll be really disappointed in me probably for thinking this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I, I had to go and talk to uh, someone I was finding it very difficult to deal with. And um, do you know what I thought? I thought I should pray about this because I really need to know that God's with me in this conversation. And then I thought, well, they're a Christian too, so whose team is God going to be on? And then I didn't really want to pray. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And do you know, I'd, and I've done that heaps of times before. So I, now I'm not praying and I'm not walking with God because I'm thinking that there's some kind of team thing going on. And then I pulled up the other day and I stopped and I just thought, hang on, hang on. Isn't God going to be with both of us? <laughs> is he big enough to be with both of us? Now, if you had to come and ask me that, I would have said, yeah, he's big enough to be with both of you. Of course he is. It's just a silly thing to think, right? Because at some level, it is a silly thing to think. And I'm not putting it down. I'm, I'm talking about myself here, right? But it is a bit of a silly thing to think. And do you know the silly thing that I thought stopped me from walking with God in the middle of something that was very difficult, at least for a moment? And it's done that before. Don't, in this moment, walk in a way that's practically absent from God. I want to uh, finish, maybe I'll ask Nath to, um, to come up and the team. Can you, can you just zip back over to, uh, to Jonah chapter 1? You know, one of the other obstacles that people have is they doubt, they doubt God because when they ask for mercy, he doesn't always give them what they want. And I'm not even saying that in a negative, sinful way. I'm just saying that's just how it is, right? You just, you get in a really tough situation and it's really difficult and you feel really helpless. You cry out to God and he gives you something else. I, I didn't ask for that. I asked for that, and you gave me that. I didn't want that. And, and one of the things I really feel to do today is to open up the opportunity for people to, to respond and to cry out and ask God, because they're in a moment that's a but God moment. It's like, God, would you turn this moment around? Would you change it? Well, here's the thing. I want to give you an assurance today that God will always give you what fits in with his ultimate end objective. Okay? So your question ought to be, so what's his end objective? <laughs> what's his end objective? That, that's, that's really important. Like, What's his objective for me? What's the goal that he's got for me? Well, let's go back to Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to read the first four verses. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from what? From God. He wanted to run from God. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Twice you get told that. And then look at what Jonah gets. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. 
Was the storm a mercy for Jonah? Yeah, it was. Absolutely it was. You know why? Because the ultimate end objective for uh, Jonah is that he would actually have communion with God. That's the objective. And you can see that the whole way through Ephesians. The stuff that we've been through in Ephesians so far is God's end goal, his end objective is that you would be personally in communion with him. And so you know what he'll do? He will bring everything to bear upon your life so that you will walk with him. He'll bring everything to bear upon your life that's required so that you and he will walk personally together. You see, if God lets Jonah go, that's not being very merciful. Because that's the worst thing for Jonah. So when you pray and you cry out to God for mercy, just bear in mind that God's end goal, his objective, is that you and he would be tight. Like, so tight. That you would be. I mean, the whole Ephesians series for us is called in. That you would be in him. That you would be one with him.